Hey, everybody, you know when you hear that song, it is time for the On the Lighter Side of Baseball with Jamie Reske. Our venue has shifted to the frozen tundra. Soldier Field wasn't frozen yesterday, but it's frozen today because it's heading to 20 degrees in Chicago, three to five inches of snow. There are planes sliding off the runway at O'Hare, cancellations left and right, but I am warm and toasty on the 32nd floor looking down at Lake Michigan, and it is not suitable for swimming. But hey, I'm in a great mood. Podcast number 41 Honoring Tom Seaver, just a few words on Tom Seaver, Hall of Fame pitcher, Hall of Fame gentleman, played for the Mets on a number of occasions, would get traded, would go back, get traded, go back. He played for the White Sox, and my only loyal client of the 30 guys I represented in Pro Sports Inc., an up-and-coming sports agency business that would have been spectacular, I'd have probably been the next... Uh, Boris, but everybody fired me, <laughs> so I didn't have a client. But I did have Alfornia Jones, Big Al Jones from Alcorn State University. He was the only guy that was loyal to me, and he had a lot to do with Tom Seaver. And you ask, well, what in the world did uh, Alfornia Jones, who no war number 49, and we'll get to podcast 49 soon, I'm sure. What in the world does Al Jones have to do with Tom Seaver? Tom Seaver, legendary pitcher, played for the Mets, played for the White Sox, played for the Reds. He was a stud. What in the world does Alfornia Jones have to do with it? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's the highlight of my sports agency, and that was that Al Jones saved the first three American League victories of Tom Seaver. Yes, Tom Seaver, when he played for the White Sox in the American League, his first three victories were by none other than my client, Al Jones. And at this point, I'm thinking, well, man, oh, man, Al's going to you know, be up for a good contract. We're going to make some money on Al. The, the sports agency business is going to be good. Uh, maybe we'll get back the Johnny Cangelosi's that left. Maybe we'll get back the Ron Karkovice that left. Maybe we'll get back the Kenny Williams that left. Maybe, 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 baby, baby, baby. But Al, after saving Tom's first three American League wins, kind of fell on some hard times. First of all, there was a rule, and I think I've talked about this on podcast, where after 85 days they sent Al back to AAA because uh, – didn't matter what he was doing, he was going to get a $5,000 bonus if he spent five more days up with the White Sox. So the White Sox, in really one of the least classy moves, a very classy gentleman and friend of mine and a great guy and a great general manager and a great human being, Roland Heeman, made a goofy decision. I don't know why, but, you know, that was baseball. They watched their nickels and dimes back then a whole lot more than they do now. So anyway, goes back to the minor leagues, doesn't come back up that year, but he does go to spring training the next year, doesn't give up a run, and they have to put him up on the team. So he's at Fenway Park in spring, it's raining, and uh, he comes in after hitting fungos to the outfield. Yeah, fungos, that's a lost art, but back then uh, they had uh, guys that actually practiced in the field before a game. Yeah, guys would hit fungos, and uh, Al was doing that, started to rain, 
We ended uh, fielding practice. Al trotted off the field with his fungo in hand, got to the top timber of uh, the Fenway dugout, didn't have any skid-resistant material down there because it was just a bunch of railroad ties back in the old days, Uh, 1983-84 vintage. He slipped and fell, reached up instinctively with his right arm, grabbed the roof of the dugout, and tore every friggin' muscle you could tear in your arm. But... California being the last guy on the team, a short arm righty with a toothpick always in his mouth, goes dutifully out to the bullpen in the 40-degree weather while it's raining, gets up two or three times to pitch, finally gets called in, comes in with the bases loaded, strikes out, and I've told this story a thousand times, Rice, Armas, and Evans. Speaking of Evans, he's on the uh, Veterans Committee list to be in the Hall of Fame consideration. Uh, California doesn't come out for the 10th. Sox get a run in the top of the 10th. Somebody gets a save. Al gets the win. Hallelujah. Never pitched again. Hurt his arm. Gone. Tried to be a replacement player. Didn't work out so good. He could only throw the ball about 50 feet after that episode at Fenway. Haven't seen Al since. And uh, we didn't make any money. But boy, was that fun. We had some great guys. Mike Soper, Rolando Pino, uh, Eric Schmidt. I could go on and on. Mike Sodders. We had some great guys at the White Sox. And some guys we didn't represent, like Daryl Boston. Um, We didn't represent him, but we got to know him a little bit. Um, There were just a bunch of really good guys in the White Sox organization. Um, Joel Skinner at that point. Um, And so anyway... Uh, that was my excitement. The uh, Hopefully the podcast will be a lot more successful than my sports representation, although we did have a cool name, Pro Sports Inc. And we were certified by the uh, Major League Baseball Player Association to represent those guys. And, uh, you know, after about 10 years of not representing anybody, they finally pulled my certification. But, but that's all right. I'd tell these guys, why well, have an agent? You can get $30 million just by being like Bryce Harper. Anyway, Bryce, by the way, is sitting at home with no World Series ring. Is that funny or what? Doesn't bother him. He was hoping his friends would win. He doesn't have any friends left on that team, in my judgment. Uh, they were happy to see him leave. And by God, what a team it was. So anyway, Podcast 41. I just listened to Podcast 40 again. And I got to tell you, and I'll send out a, a note. It's great. Everybody ought to listen to podcast number 40. That can be found on SoundCloud. It's easier to find on the Apple Podcasts with that little purple, uh, whatever you call those things, icons or apps or whatever, and you can subscribe for free. And you get what you pay for uh, with uh, on the lighter side of baseball. And then also now, easier than anything, is Spotify. It's free. Boom. They got all 40 of them on there, and I'd recommend on a cold winter night. You know, you can listen to probably five a night, and in a couple days, you can listen to all of them, catch up, and be ready for uh, podcast number 41, which is this podcast. And uh, this is our first podcast since the World Series ended. And I got to tell you, man, uh, aside from picking SMU to beat Memphis, which didn't happen, uh, I was pretty close uh, with my uh, with my pick in Game 7. And... I especially enjoyed, and I hope you did too, the format of kind of 
The first half of the program was before Game 7, and the second half of the program was after Game 7 was over. And um, you know what? I thought it was pretty good. I really did. Made a few mistakes, like they didn't open the windows at Minute Maid Park. Well, of course, they you know what they needed to open uh, wasn't windows. It was the roof. Beautiful nights in Houston. Every one of those four home dates that the visitors won the roof could have been open, and if the roof had been open, I predict that the Astros would have won that series in four games. <laughs> we'll never know. But come on, open the roof. Let's see the stars. It's a beautiful night. What in the world is going on with Major League Baseball? The games are so long. Even I went to sleep during half of the games. And, and like, I have a podcast that, you know, the revenues from my podcast are, are growing and the demands of people wanting to sponsor the program growing, but I couldn't stay awake because it was so long. I told people, if you turned on the Sunday NFL game at noon, watched that entire game, and then flipped over to game two, watched that till halftime, that's as long as these Major League Baseball World Series productions were taken. And the ratings took a toll, took a big hit, the only thing that saved the ratings was that there was Game Seven. It was on a Wednesday night. There was no pro. There was nothing to go up against, and they had a record rating on Game Seven. Which then, when you amortize it or spread it out or dollar cost average or however you want to say, took all the ratings, put them together, and divided by seven, they barely dodged the lowest ratings in the history of the World Series. Now. Interestingly, if you go back and look at the ratings history, which I tell you is boring to do, uh, the highest rated, and this is, this, is, this is hard to believe, and you guys out there that want to double-check me and find some factual mistakes by me, fact-check the lighter side of baseball, which I tell you has absolutely zero utility, you go back the highest rated World Series game in the history of televi televised World Series is, it was a game six. The Philadelphia Phillies won that game. Can anybody out there tell me who their opponent was that lost game six, the 19, I can't give away the year, the highest rated game of any World Series. Oh, the phones are lighting up. Oh my goodness gracious, we have some regular, now we don't have any callers, I don't have any way to answer a phone. 1980, the first full year I had season tickets for the Kansas City Royals, they hosted the World Series. And they were supposed to have four games there, but unfortunately Philly won in six. Pete Rose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Mr. Hit King. That was the highest rated game in the history of the World Series. Game six, if anybody can catch me and thinks that's wrong, you can feel free to call, email, text me, or you know, write a letter to the editor. And if you wouldn't mind referring to the lighter side of baseball as the best podcast you've ever heard on any sports thing, thing, we do things here, mostly baseball, but we get off into other things, as we did last week. The Chiefs, oh my God, 
their defense is as bad as the Bears' offense. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes because on the lighter side of baseball, in the winter when it's snowing, we got to make some segues, which is a fancy term for fade in, fade out to another sport. And we'll go to baseball and mainly the Chiefs and the Bears. There's a lot to talk about there, which I won't talk about, but I will talk about the results, which all have an impact on my family going to the uh, – Bears game on December 22nd at 7 o'clock, Sunday night before Christmas at Soldier Field. Oh, boy, it's going to be cold. It's going to be a cold walk from the subway to the uh, ballpark, but by God, we'll make it. So anyway, uh, where were we? We were talking about uh, TV ratings. Well, number one, the games last too long. Come on. I mean, <laughs> now they get paid a ton of money, so nobody's going to listen to me. But those games need to be two and a half hours to two hours and 45 minutes, period. End of conversation. They're going to be longer now because next year they go to 26 guys. That 26 man has to be a pitcher. They can make more pitching changes in the regular season. Now, they're going to do away with the, with the ridiculous uh, September baseball where you can have 40 guys, of which 15 are pitchers. Now they're going to reduce the schedule, reduce the, uh, not to reduce the schedule, they need to make money, money, money. They're going to have 26-man expanded roster in the regular season through six months and uh, cut the 40-man roster down on uh, each game in September, so I hear. Anyway, number one, games are too long. Number two, you've got Joe Boring Bakarewski. And you managed, Joe, to make even John Smoltz seem horrible. Horrible. Did I say horrible? Those guys, oh my God, that's the third catcher in World Series history to get two singles, a double, and a sacrifice bunt. Can you believe that? All in this World Series. That's only the third time. That's. I mean... That guy that Joe Buck listens to in his ear must come up with some of the most stupid stats. That's the first catcher ever at night in a ballpark that's got a roof over it to hit a double and a triple in the same game. Can you believe that, uh, John? Well, Joe, I'm telling you, uh, back when I played for the Braves, I think that might have happened. I can't remember whether that was Chipper that did that or maybe that was Skates that did that. But whoever, I thought somebody else had done that. Of course, the roof wouldn't have been uh, closed because we didn't have a roof. But anyway, they, oh my God. They go, it's, it's so bad. Now, you know, Buck's going to be the, the poster child because he's so good. He can do a baseball game. He can do the World Series on Wednesday and Thursday night football, and he did that. And isn't that great? And he knows all the guys, and... You know, he's got some attributes that you got to recognize. Smoltzy, my God, go go to the golf tour. He used to be good till he met Costas in the broadcast booth. And I like Bob, but not with John. I like John, but not with Joe. Um, get, get up. Get, get anybody else in there. How about somebody from the home, from the local team? Have a three-man booth. And so if they were playing Tampa Bay, you'd have my good buddy Dwayne Stats in there and have him call the play and have Buck go out and smoke a cigarette with Mike Shannon. 
I mean, boring, crappy, no fun, no fun. Give me Dizzy Dean, Tony Kubak, uh, Joe Garagiola, Jack Brickhouse, um, Ernie Hart, you name it. You know, go find the best announcer that's breathing. Go get Euchre. Go get Harwell. Go get Tom Hamilton and put some life into the broadcast and shorten them up and get the umpires to expand the strike zone. That's the deal. Now, two of those guys that I just met, well, you know, Euchre, I think the world of him, and I don't know too many people that don't like his broadcast because he can do it all by himself. He doesn't need a color man. He is the color man. He does a play-by-play, and he tells you succinctly and interestingly what's going on. Very clean, very clear picture. He does the radio. He's great. He ought to be on TV. I mean, Major League Baseball is missing out on not having that guy do the World Series because, you know, maybe it's too expensive for Fox. I don't know, but really, they need... I thought Tim McCarver was bad. Oh, my God, I almost... I'm not going quite this far, but bring back Timmy Boy. So, anyway, I mentioned two broadcasters that both worked with my good friend Dave Nelson. Uh, One was Dwayne Stats, the other Tom... That was Tom Hamilton. Both of those are in the final eight finalists for the Ford Frick Award, along with Pat Hughes of the Cubs. Those three are clearly the class. I'm afraid, underscore afraid, that one of the other eight, besides Pat, Tom, or Dwayne, is going to get the award similarly, that's a big word, similarly to how and again, I got no problem with Harold Baines, except I had a problem with him being in the Hall of Fame. Done, you know, he's just not—he's not a Hall of Famer. But he got in. A lot of controversy in that, um, and I'm not going to speculate how he got in. But I'm afraid the same thing's going to happen. With you can put it on the board. Yes, that's right, Ken. Number three, Harrelson. I think he wore number three when he danced around in the Oakland colors, the Red Sox colors. He was the general manager of the White Sox, and he fired. (laughs) Another great story. Kenny Harrelson, for a short period of time, was named the general manager of the Chicago White Sox. Now, this has a little bit of memory with me. And since it's my podcast, I can dwell on things that I had a memory about back when I was in the mix. Kitty Harrelson fired assistant general manager Dave Dombrowski and Mr. Reinsdorf, who is loyal, maybe the most loyal guy in baseball where loyalty doesn't really last much longer than a sunset. He kept Dombrowski around, told him to stay with the team and keep working to get a general manager's job, and Dave did, in fact, land with the Montreal Expos. And, uh, you know, that was a good gig. And, uh, you know, worked out well for Dave, and Dave, you know, went to the Marlins, and uh, then he went to the Red Sox, and then he got fired for not signing Craig Kimbrell, which I think he should have gotten rehired. Anyway, that was a screw. The the Boston, Miami, Montreal trilogy 
is something that I'm going to talk about on a podcast between uh, Loria, Selig, and John Henry. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened, but but there's something to be told. And, uh, you know, our format during the offseason might be like a trial. I might give opening statement, and then I might give a uh, little evidence, and then I might wrap it up with a closing argument. And uh, that that little subplot is a suggested format by some of our listeners that uh, I had to try to employ some of the uh, trial experience into a broadcast. And so uh, we might go with the premise that uh, Major League Baseball uh, conspired to get Henry the Red Sox, get out of Montreal uh, through contraction, and then give this bozo a uh, billion-dollar product in uh, Jeff Loria. So anyway, uh, the guy that couldn't afford the Oklahoma 89ers way back when, or whatever they were called when we were in the American Association with them. Uh, so anyway, uh, with respect to uh, the Dombrowski thing, that's one story with Harrelson. Another story is back again to Pro Sports Inc., my sports representation business that I not only shared with partners in my law firm, but relied upon in total 100% complicity with uh, David Earl Nelson, Nellie, my buddy. Anyway, Nellie would go out and tell all these guys that uh, they needed to be represented by me. I'd represent them, and then when they get to the major leagues, boom, they'd fire me. It was quite a scenario. But we tried. By God, that was one of the most fun things we did. And anyway, during that course of time, one of the guys, and I would go out to the minor league facilities where these guys were playing, and I would meet with them if we had signed them or meet with them and try to sign them or sign them at spring training. And most of these guys, you know, were prospects. And Dave was a great scout and talent, judge, judge of talent, unbelievable. So anyway... I go out to, uh, and this just shows, I guess I was either stupid or really adventuresome. I went out, I had about 20, 25 guys signed up, and I went out to the short A league in the, um, I can't even remember the name of the the uh, league, but it might have been the Penn League, the New York Penn League, but I went out to Niagara which is right there with the falls. And I met with and signed a kid that was from Mississippi State that nobody really had heard much about. I mean, obviously they hadn't heard, I mean, they heard a lot about him in, in, in college ranks because, uh, you know, he went to school with uh, two other guys that were studly major leaguers. Anyway, back to Thiggy. Uh, I went, watched him play. Uh, met up with him in his uh, hotel room the next day and uh, signed him to a contract with Pro Sports Inc. And uh, interestingly, Nellie had told me, you know, his roommate up in the Penn League, I think it was the Penn League, uh, his roommate was Randy Velarde, and Velarde would be a good guy to sign. Uh, you know, Velarde sat in on a meeting and wanted to join Pro Sports Inc. And I said, you know, uh, God, I got too many guys, I can't even take you. So Velarde, who played about 20 years with the various teams in the major leagues and would have been a, you know, as valuable as Scott Fletcher, who we tried to sign, 
Scotty's a great guy, and that's a digression, but God loves Scott Fletcher. He was, a, he was a good guy, great baseball player, fun guy to try to steal away from his uh, agents in St. Louis. And uh, Fletcher's credit, he stuck with, uh, with his agents. I can't remember the name of the brothers down there in St. Louis, but be that as it may, that's a little detour into Scott Fletcher. Now we go back to Thigpen. So Thiggy finishes the short A league and wants to go into the winter ball. So I said, don't worry, being your agent, I will get you a winter ball job. And so uh, I called the general manager of the Chicago White Sox, Ken Harrelson. Well, number one, I had laryngitis for some reason, but Thiggy, you know, had an, a possible opening. I wanted to pursue it, see if the White Sox had any problem with them playing, you know, somewhere in uh, Venezuela probably. And, of course, I can't talk very loud, and Harrelson goes, hey, man, Here's what you need to do. Take about five shots of vodka and then call me back. And I go, you know, I really don't like vodka, but what's this? do you mind if we sign with the Venezuela, you know, Maracaibo, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, that's fine. And, of course, before the, Mexican, before the winter ball was over with, Diggy had fired me and used his father, who was the... CEO of, I think, Florida Power and Light, uh, to negotiate directly with Mr. Reinsdorf, and uh, Jerry cut me out. <laughs> I think I was fired before Jerry cut me out. Too funny. Laugh about that with, uh, with Mr. Reinsdorf, who continues, I think, to be a friend. Anyway, so that's the Ken Harrelson. I hope he doesn't get, I hope he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. I hope Dwayne gets in. I like Dwayne a lot. And I would go out to Las, to, uh, Cooperstown to watch that one if if Dwayne gets in and uh, do a podcast with Dwayne. Yeah, I think we talked about my dinner with Dwayne a while ago, and that was fun. So that is uh, that's it on the uh, on the Hall of Fame front. There are a couple other things that I'd like to talk about. I'm gonna try to keep these off season podcasts to half an hour, forty minutes. But you know me, I just can't stop talking. I mean, we haven't even. I've got a little outline of what I want to talk about, and we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't gotten to the awards, which start tonight, November 11th. Now I made a few, I made a few picks, which I'm not sure I would agree with still, but I did on the last podcast, so I'm not going to cross those up. But um, I am going to talk about a couple things. Number one, over the weekend, the Chicago Cubs had a deal for their season ticket holders called Family Day. It was awesome. I mean, I give some high, high marks to Mr. Ricketts. You don't have to do that. The Royals don't do it. Um, they sort of do, but not like this, man. So here's the deal. Maybe twice a year. They, they might do it in the summer, but I did it in the fall. They entertain their season ticket holders in a couple-hour segments. And so, I don't know, there were probably 2,500 people there. Um, we got there right on time. You have a little ticket, you get in, you have access to virtually the entire Wrigley Field facility, which to me was pretty cool. Um, took my three-year-old grandson out there, and I think he, he'd never been to Wrigley Field. We're going to rectify that next year by taking him to a few games. And uh, what they allowed you to bring gloves and balls, and man, we played some catch on the, on the field even threw a couple balls to Charlie. Uh, but 
played catch. I basically threw the ball into the ground, and uh, uh, Greg, who has done a podcast with me, scooped it up. And so I've got a ball with green grass stain on it from Wrigley Field. I'm keeping that forever. Awesome ball. That's one of my favorite balls now. Uh, got to go in the visitor's clubhouse. Got to see that you could have hit in the batting cages adjacent to the visitor's clubhouse. Guys were, you know, hitting balls left and right. Uh, could, uh, the bullpens were open to go look at. Uh, the uh, visitor's clubhouse, the Cubs clubhouse, the press box, everywhere. You go, you could run the bases. You could basically do everything, but they didn't let you have a bat. They didn't really monitor who was throwing in which direction. So it got a little hairy out there. But they gave you concessions. You could have had a, memorative, a commemorative book of tickets, which there was nothing about this year to commemorate. And uh, it was a great deal. So I had a lot of fun. That was uh, before the weather changed out here. And uh, the next day, the weather was still good when the Bears took on the Detroit Lions and barely won the worst defense or the second worst defense. And uh, Trubisky finally found a few receivers, they were open because everybody on Detroit was hurt. And uh, looked like the Lions had about seven guys out there against the Bears 11. On to the Rams, they'll never beat the Rams. The Chiefs have no defense, as we said on our last podcast when they lost to the Chief, to the Packers. Uh, they blew another game. I mean, this time it was with Mahomes. And God, the defense is horrible. Oh, well, they'll be coming to Chicago, and we'll be there. It's going to be fun. So that's uh, that's the world of football. That's the world of fall festivities at Wrigley. And uh, changing gears, I want to talk a little bit about a Cuban ball player that I'd never really heard about until I started doing a little Hall of Fame research recently. And this fella is someone who has been compared to Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente, Jackie Robinson, and as one of the best players ever, ever, and is the only player other than Willie Mays to be in the Hall of Fame in the United States, the Hall of Fame in Mexico, the Hall of Fame in Venezuela, the Hall of Fame in Cuba, and the Hall of Fame in, um, what did I leave out? Did I say Mexico? Did I say Venezuela? The Dominican, every Hall of Fame you can be in for a baseball player. In addition to Willie Mays, El Maestro is that guy. And... You know, I'd never heard of this guy, and uh, I'm not sure why I'd never heard of him, but his name is Martin Dehago, Dehigo, D-I-H-I-G-O, pronounced Dehigo. This guy came over to the U.S. and played in the Negro Leagues, never played in the Major Leagues, but he routinely beat Satchel Paige. He could play the outfield as well as anybody. He could pitch as well as anybody. And, uh, you know, he'd get bored in batting practice and say, stop throwing me fastballs. I can hit those. Let's work on curves. Guy spoke fluent English. 
and his name was El Maestro, the Maestro. And uh, the more I read about this guy, the more sensational uh, his records are. And, of course, he is part of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and uh, many other Hall of Fames. And this guy fled Cuba during the Batista era, but then got active after Cuba was taken over by Castro and, in fact, was the minister of sports for Fidel Castro, and he was one of his big backers. Now, you know, where does that put him politically? He's in the U.S. making money playing baseball while he's supporting a brutal dictator in the communist country of Cuba? I don't know. I never talk politics on this show. I'm not going to start now. If I did, well, I'm not going to. So, from time to time, I'm going to talk about different Hall of Famers in the offseason, and I wanted to start this Podcast 41 reference to El Maestro. What a great ball player. So Johnny Mize ends up managing him at some point in winter ball. And after about a day with this guy, says he's one of the two best baseball players, maybe three that he's ever seen, besides Willie Mays and uh, Roberto Clemente. So, I mean, this guy, you know, he had 130 home runs. He won a couple hundred games pitching. He had career 300. He played for like 25 years between the Negro Leagues, the Mexican League, the Cuban League, Venezuela, Dominican. Played everywhere. That was great. So that's that. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about the ego as time goes by. It's fascinating. And why I never heard of this guy. I don't know. I need to get more involved in baseball. So tonight starts award season, and for some reason, you know, don't get me started on MLB Network. Oh, my God. I think uh, the guys that host the shows are just bozos. I think that um, there are plenty of bozos to go around, but they have good guys like Harold Reynolds, like Dan Plezak, like Jim Tomey, and, um, you know, the guys that I've talked about that I like, I still like them. They're still good, still fun. But, I mean, man, Verducci, give me a break. And then, you know, these reporters that act like they know how to, you know, teach baseball, they don't. Anyway, um, they have, uh, they drag out these awards for three nights, I guess. And the two awards that are going to go out tonight are, as I understand it, uh, Rookie of the Year in both leagues. So what they do is they take all the potential Rookies of the Year and they whittle it down to three guys in each league. So the finalists are in the American League, Alvarez from the Astros, Lowe from Tampa Bay, and Means from Baltimore. You know, i got to tell you, the Orioles are so bad, I've never heard of Means. I don't really follow Lowe much. So by default, Alvarez, who had a pretty good few games of the series, few bad games of the series, and of course postseason doesn't count, Alvarez gets that one. That's my prediction. In the National League, you've got Tatis, who got hurt, the Padres, who's clearly the rookie of the year if he had played that many games. 
Soraka with the Braves, and Alonzo. Now, how do you not give the the award to Alonzo? I mean, here's a guy who either he got a fresh dose of steroids or he got strong because he went from a mediocre power hitter to hitting, what, 51 or 52 dingers during the season, and so Alonzo gets the award. So that's tonight. Uh, tomorrow night, um, I think they go with the um, – Cy Young or the Manager of the Year. So we'll do. We're going to do all four of the categories. The uh, Cy Young in the American League is pretty interesting. It's between uh, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, or Charlie Morton. Now all these guys within the last year have been on the Astros. So like, how great are the Astros to spot or pay for great pitching? So who will win the MVP? Uh, the last podcast I predicted, Garrett Cole, I'll stick with that, although I think Verlander had a better year, and he's probably going to get it. In the um, Over in the American League, uh, you have DeGrom, you have, um, who else do you have there? I'm going to have to go look, I suppose. Um, I can't read my own writing, which is kind of a problem at plagued me during trial practice when you can't read it. National League, well, of course, you have Scherzer, and uh, you have DeGrom, and you have um, somebody else. I think it's going to be Ray Yu as the third guy. Um, I think Scherzer would have won it if he hadn't gotten hurt, and I think DeGrom should win it, but I think it'll be Ray Yu. So there you have it. So far, I go with Alonzo, Alvarez, um, Garrett, slash Verlander, or Rayu. So that's half the awards. So if I keep talking, I'll be right no matter what, because I'll pick on a couple different people. The manager of the year in the uh, National League, you've got um, Council, and then two guys who I can't pronounce their names. Uh, you've got Smitker from the Braves, who won it last year. He's not going to win it this year. Council should. I mean, the guy's photographed on TV more than any other manager. And what else would you think of for the qualifications for manager of the year but a guy who never smiles in the dugout for 162 games? It's a credit to Craig Council. The guy managed the pitching staff better than anybody could. And, uh, you know, I think pretty spectacular. Council... Ought to get it, but they're going to give it to... Is this the name of a manager, a dog? Schilte? Schilte? Schiltz? The guy from the Cardinals. I can't stand anything about the Cardinals. I don't even like this guy, and he's the most non-controversial manager in baseball. He just sits there. You know, every now and then when the pitching coach, Maddox, sends him out to the mound, he goes to take out the pitcher. Other than that, he's got his hand on his cheek, his knee up on the step of the dugout, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of dugouts, at family day yesterday, we went into the visiting clubhouse or the visiting dugout. And there's two rows. There's a back row, which is ground level of the dugout, wherever that, whatever that is above sea level. You can't see anything. You can barely even see the Knee, the back of the knees of the guys that are sitting in front. So the back row, you don't see the game. The front row, you sort of see the game. I don't get it. I mean, 
the, and the dugout benches, even though the dugouts are big, the benches aren't that long. So anyway, I digress as I usually do, but be that as it may, um, we are on to what? We did the manager of that. Schilte's going to win it. Jeez, Benice. And then uh, the manager on the American League side, you got uh, Rocco Bedelli or whatever his name is. You've got Boone and you've got Cash. Now, clearly the best jobs was all three of those guys did a pretty good job. I'm not sure how you differentiate. The Twins, you know, nice story. Rocco did a nice job. Um, Cash, amazing, handles the pitching staff every bit as well as Council. I think the award's got to go to Boone. I mean, hate to love a guy with the Yankees, but Boone, he should get it. So, Boone and Schilte, Schilte, whatever, Schilte, whatever that doggy kind of name of that Cardinal guy is, which leaves the MVP. So, Bregman versus Trout. You know, Bregman, he's a dog after the his actions in the World Series, but the dude can flat out play baseball. He can hit, field, he's into the game. Little red ass for me, but he's still good. Mike Trout gets the MVP again. He should. In the National League, Bellinger, Yelich, and uh, Rendon. Rendon got screwed out of the MVP of the World Series. He'll get screwed out of the MVP this time. It should go to Yelich before he got hurt, but it's going to go to Bellinger. So there you have it. Those are my predictions for the week. We'll come back next week with Podcast 42, Jackie Robinson. I told you we'd get there, number 42, and uh, we'll see how I did. Now, let's get important for the last few minutes. Let's talk about... um, Let's talk about pizza. Chicago Magazine picked the top 25 pizzas in Chicago. I'm trying to go to all 25 before next spring. I should weigh 350 by then. Let me tell you, this list is hokey dokey baloney. Yes, the list is baloney. The best pizza in town, Paisano's. We're trying to get them for a sponsor. Boy, this podcast is brought to you by wouldn't that be great Pisanos. I, I maybe they'd bring me a pizza every week that'd be awesome remuneration fancy word for pay i would not declare it on my income tax even though their pizzas are about 40 bucks a pop when they deliver them nothing but lick just just a taste of wonderful tomatoes, cheese, sausage, pepperoni, combo. Can't you just taste it? If you're ever in Chicago, stop by Pisano's at 800 North State Street. Yes, right across from Tempo's, another awesome place for breakfast. Trying to get that. Boy, they'd be a great sponsor. Boy, if you had Tempo's and Pisano's, man, I'd be I'd be in tall cotton, as my buddy Nelly would be saying, doing something in tall cotton. The, uh, we went to La Baroli uh, on Friday night. You know, five, six out of ten. It was rated two. Tonight we're going to Pat's Pizza. Don't think they'll ever be a sponsor. Pretty pedestrian pizza, but they're rated number eight. Um, anyway, that the pizza scene in Chicago is you can't have a bad pizza. Now, you can get these 
New York style, St. Louis style, Sheboygan style. Yeah, you can have a brat, a pizza that has brat in it, I guess. Um, it's hard to ruin a pizza for me. Some the the uh, this Neapolitan deal, you put them in a wood-fired stove, and five minutes later you're eating it, which I think is always a good idea. Um, garlic little, they called them garlic knots. It was bread with uh, soaked in garlic, pretty good. It was great. Um, and so that's our pizza report. Uh, I'll let you know how Pat's was. And then uh, Roots, you know, around Second City, I mean, I could give you itinerary for three or four nights in Chicago on things to do, places to go during the season, during the off season, Bears, Bulls, Blackhawks or baseball with the Sox and the uh, Cubs, and uh, you'd have a good time and you'd eat well. I mean, you would eat well. So, again, once we have call-in capabilities, you can call in, and I'll tell you where I think you ought to go if you're in town for one night, where to go for pizza, where to go for steak, where to go for beef sandwiches. You can never go wrong at Portillo's, folks. Mm -mm. You can get anything on the menu that's not green, and you'll be doing a good, good day of eating. Now, new managers. Uh, you know, most of the teams have new managers. Dusty Baker did not get get hired. And as far as I know, Buck Showalter didn't get hired. Carlos Beltran, hired by the Mets. I think that's cool. Boy, oh boy, could Carlos play. Played for a lot of different teams. Came up with the Royals as a rookie. Flat out good baseball player. I don't know if he can manage with the lick, but... He and uh, Grandpa Rossi, I guess, will we'll find out. The Mets uh, come here. Speaking of the uh, schedule, it's pretty cool. The Royals, um, you know, have a new manager in Mike Matheny. Uh, they'll play, I don't even know which division they play. The Cubs play in interleague, the American League East. So the Red Sox come back to Wrigley. That is always a fun time. Red Sox fans travel. Uh, the uh, Cubs go to... Yankee Stadium, uh, Tampa Bay is going to be in here, and my buddy Dwayne Stats and I are going to go out and have another good good time, and I'll try to get Dwayne to do a podcast with me. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, the Padres, they, they don't even know the name of their manager. The uh, Giants, I don't think they have a manager yet. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I guess I could do a little research for this uh, podcast coming up. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about Jackie Robinson. Man, oh man, a number of guys in the 60s and 70s that owed their career to Jackie. Unbelievable. Uh, we'll be trying to feature Cool Joe and his Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, or whatever they're called. Uh, I'm going to a game. Uh, you know, Madden's going to have them up there. They're going to trade. They're going to be a good team. Watch out, Rangers and Astros. You could have a bit of a battle on your hand, and that, uh, that will be fun to watch. And then the free agents, my God, there's a gazillion free agents. Uh, it was not a real bold prediction, but Strasburg opted out. He'll probably sign with the Padres. We'll get into that later because everybody's got predictions about who are the top free agents. Garrett Cole, Strasburg, uh, you've got Castellanos. There's just a bunch of good free agents out there. What will the Cubs do? I don't know. They've started out with a big thud. They fired Lester Strode, the bullpen coach of all things, and they've got Chris Young coming in, 
who got fired for being a pitching coach for somebody else. They get rid of Lester Strode and they keep this. This is, this shows you who's running the show. As I said in podcast forty, it ain't Rossi. Theo keeps this Hatovi. Now he's got a year's worth of bad experience. He's not going to get any better as a pitching coach. And then they've got uh, uh, the guy that nobody knows the name of, uh, Anthony Laposi, as their hitting coach. They sucked. They couldn't hit worth a crap. And they bring him back. Oh, look at the advances Chris Bryant and Schwarber had. Bull-loney. Bull-loney. That is a crock. Um... They need Almora in center. They need to get rid of Schwarber. Uh, I think a great trade. You heard it here first and probably only here. How great would it be to trade Dexter Fowler for Hayward? Just trade him. Flip-flop him. Let Hayward go back to St. Louis. Let Dexter come to Chicago. That would be a fan favorite. Then we'd have a leadoff guy. Even if he hits 212, we got a leadoff guy. We got nothing. Theo's Predicting big changes so far has kept the two weakest links in the entire organization. Batting coach, pitching coach. Here we go. Now, let's update you finally. The last topic will be, as uh, we listen to podcast 25 or 30, I wasn't going to uh, re-up for any season tickets. I have already uh, gone against that philosophy and got Royals tickets again. I mean, seats are so good. And if Mr. Reinsdorf's listening, I might get season tickets to the White Sox, but the Cubs are calling again. have pretty good seats at Wrigley, trying to upgrade those seats. I'll go to a bunch of games. You know, I go to the Cubs in honor of Davey Nelson. So, you know, Mr. Reinsdorf, if you're listening, I go to plenty of White Sox games. Go Sox, go Cubs. And that's it. On the lighter side of baseball, I've had fun on Podcast 41, but if I were you and you hadn't listened to 40, you know, tune it in. And then uh, we're going to try to figure out ways to expand because as you'll hear in Podcast 40 and 1 through 39, there's a lot of interesting golden tidbits that come out of my mouth. It's just a great way to spend an hour listening to me go on and on and on about baseball mostly. But we touched on football, we touched on food, and we are going to touch on how to enjoy the winter in Chicago, waiting for uh, some games to get snowed out in April. So that's it. On the Lighter Side of Baseball, episode 41, listen to us on Spotify, listen to us on SoundCloud, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, and uh, we will all... Have a good time. Appreciate it. And uh, we will be back with 42 in one week. Again, have a great week on this Veterans Day. Semper Fi, the Marine Corps birthday was yesterday. Today is Veterans Day. What could be better than honoring America's servicemen who since 1776 have kept this democracy running smoothly, <laughs> well, running, and uh, by God, with, uh, with all the uh, hope of the world, it'll continue for uh, another 300 years. That's it. 
on the lighter side of baseball. Go out and have a great week. Thanks again for listening.